You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football Network. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simu, and on this edition, we're going to be looking ahead to Arsenal's big Premier League clash versus Leicester City coming up this Sunday. This is the start of a huge week for Mikel Arteta's Gunners and Mikel Arteta's Arsenal. This week is so crucial, so important, that it's Probably the reason why I've been a little bit reluctant on various other shows that I've been on and on this channel right here to say that Arsenal are definitely categorically going to finish in the top four. Ask me in a week's time and my opinion might be different. But right now, there is still a lot of work to be done, starting with this game against Leicester that will be closely followed by the visit of Liverpool and then a difficult trip to Villa Park where we'll face an informed side managed by Steven Gerrard. So, lots of work to be done. As I say, lots to get into ahead of this Leicester City game. We're going to be uh, looking ahead to this one. I'll be sharing my thoughts on how I think the game's going to go. I'll be talking through some of the stats in terms of the recent history between the two sides. We'll also be uh, sharing a predicted starting lineup, the starting lineup that I would like to see. And of course, we'll be sharing some predictions as well. And I'd love to hear from you guys too in the live chat box. So let's um let's look at the two sides who of course meet at Emirates Stadium on Sunday. And listen, I've had to deal with a lot of people who at the start of the season when I said that I thought Arsenal could finish above Leicester City, a lot of people laughed at me. A lot of people told me that I was stupid. The amount of people that have told me in the last few months that Leicester have a better squad than Arsenal, it's unbelievable. Yet when you compare our two seasons uh thus far, it tells a very, very different story to that. You know, Arsenal currently in fourth place in the Premier League. Leicester City currently down in 12th. Arsenal have won 15 of their games this season. Leicester have won just nine. The Gunners have drawn on just three occasions. Uh, Leicester have drawn six times. We've lost seven. Leicester have lost 10. Average goals scored per match. Arsenal come out on top in that department. 1.64 per game. Average goals conceded. Arsenal again come out on top, 1.16 average goals conceded per game in comparison to Leicester City's 1.72. Clean sheets, we've kept 11 in comparison to their five. They do apparently, according to the Premier League stats, uh, create more chances, clear-cut opportunities than us. But overall, Arsenal, in terms of the metrics, have had a much better season than Leicester City so far. And... That was something that even a lot of Arsenal fans didn't think was possible at the start of the season. Leicester went on and won the FA Cup last season under Brendan Rodgers. It was really very much the pinnacle for Leicester since they won the Premier League, of course, back in the 15-16 season. But Brendan Rodgers has got form for going off the rails a little bit. He, He always goes into jobs. He does very well initially and things look rosy and then they start to stagnate. Now, in this instance... And and even though I've been critical of Brendan Rodgers throughout his career, and I've always felt that he's been somewhat overrated, I think you have to say that 
injuries have played a massive part this time around. And so it's unfair to pin all of Leicester's troubles this season on Brendan Rodgers alone. But they've not been managed to their full potential, even with the injuries. And that is fact, in my view. It's it's something that you can't get away from. It's something that you can't deny. When you look at the recent form between the two sides, Arsenal have won four of their last five Premier League fixtures and could potentially win a fifth Premier League game on the bounce under Mikel Arteta for the first time in his managerial tenure. Leicester, on the other hand, well, they've picked it up a bit of late with wins at home to Leeds and away at Burnley. But going into that, they weren't in a good run of form. They've only won two of their last five, and they've lost two of those fixtures, drawing uh, one in between at home to West Ham United. They were unlucky to draw that, though, given the late nature of West Ham's equaliser. When you look at the recent history between the two sides, Arsenal won at the King Power Stadium back in October by two goals to nil. If you go back uh, prior to that, then, of course, and, and you're looking at last season, we won 3-1 at the King Power. Uh, we were beaten, however, at Emirates Stadium by Leicester City. And that was during that really catastrophic run we had under Mikel Arteta, where people were starting to ask the question as to whether he should remain in the job. So we are where we are. We go into this game in much better shape than Leicester. We go into this game as pretty strong favourites, given our recent form in comparison to theirs. But this is bigger than just your standard Premier League fixture from an Arsenal perspective. Leicester, they're not going to qualify for Europe. You know, they're not going to qualify for the Champions League, certainly. And so for them, this is an opportunity to claim a big scalp and at least restore some confidence from the fans. For the Gunners, however, as I say, this is much bigger than just your bog standard fixture. We manage to wrestle ourselves into a position where we are currently sitting fourth despite still having those games in hand to play. And it's really important, given the nature of those games in hand and given the difficulty of them, that we capitalise on home fixtures against sides like Leicester. And I don't mean that disrespectfully to Leicester, not in any way, shape or form. But Arsenal have a really big week coming up. We've got Liverpool to come on Wednesday, a game that we could quite easily lose. And then we travel to Aston Villa, who, as I mentioned, have been in really positive form of late. So there's a distinct possibility that Arsenal could come out of that game against Liverpool and the game against Aston Villa with zero points. I hope it doesn't happen. I don't think it will happen. But there is a chance, a, a strong chance that that could be the case. And therefore, the, the, um, the importance of this game against Leicester City rises up another few notches. And we really do need to take advantage um, against the side that many people fancy us to be. How do I expect it to go? Well, I don't think Brendan Rodgers' sides are particularly good at sitting in, playing deep and trying to hurt people um, on the counter-attack. I think that Leicester City sides in the past under Claudio Ranieri during the times where they were um, you know, challenging for Premier League titles and winning Premier League titles. I think that was very much their game model. I think one of the things that Brendan Rodgers did when he came in was evolve them slightly away from that mindset and from that mentality. Add to that the fact that Jamie Vardy's unavailable and you think that, or you'd think in, in theory, that Leicester's uh, threat on the counter-attack diminishes quite a bit. But we've seen that Arsenal only play one way now. We've seen that Arsenal are much more of a front foot side, are much more of the type of team that want to take the game to their opponent, as opposed to maybe at the beginning or the earlier stages of Mikel Arteta's tenure, where we could be 
uh, quite pragmatic, where we would sit off deep and look to hit teams on the break, particularly when we played with a back three with wingbacks and with Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang in the side. But over time, we've evolved and we've developed into a side that likes to play with a high press, that likes to be very aggressive, that squeezes right up to the halfway line, tries to make the pitch as small as possible and use that to good effect, i.e. pressing well and causing teams all sorts of problems. In Gabriel and White, we've got two centre-backs that are quite comfortable in squeezing up to the halfway line, whereas in the past, um, we didn't have that. you know. And, and so things have changed and things have evolved and we've now got a goalkeeper who likes to play on the edge of his penalty area and will quite happily sweep up behind those centre-backs. Arsenal have tactically evolved. Arsenal have tactically developed. And we pretty much know what we're going to get from the Gunners uh, going into this game. And that moves me on nicely to the team that I want to see start. So in terms of team news, first of all, um, going by what Mikel Arteta had to say today in his press conference, he expects Emil Smith-Rowe to be available. He, of course, had COVID and missed out on the trip to Watford, but he's been back at London Colney um, in the last couple of days and has got a couple of training sessions under his belt. So Emil Smith-Rowe is back in contention. Takahiro Tomiyasu is also in contention. However, Mikel Arteta was very coy on whether or not he would be available for this one. He did make the point that we're still assessing him, that we're still uh, doing a lot behind the scenes to make sure that when Tomiyasu does return, it is safe to do so. He's had these ongoing issues with his calves that he just can't seem to shake at the moment. And yes, we'd all prefer to see Tomiyasu in at right back ahead of Cedric. But Cedric's been in pretty decent form of late. He's done a lot better than I think most people expected. So my team to face Leicester City this weekend is Ramsdale in goal, Cedric at right back, White, Gabriel and Tierney across the back line, Partey, Xhaka and Odegaard in midfield, Saka from the right, Martinelli from the left and Lacazette through the middle. And I guess the only really contentious thing about that is Martinelli playing on the left ahead of Emil Smith-Rowe. Well, it's interesting because while I don't believe that Martinelli outside of his goal had the greatest game at Watford, and i got to be honest, I thought he was really good in that particular move and he took the chance brilliantly. But I thought outside of that, he's been a little bit iffy of late. Does he always make the right decisions in the final third? I'm not so sure. And when we are at home, although I've said that Leicester City will try and be as front foot as they possibly can, without being stupid, of course, I think that... Martinelli is somebody who thrives on the counter-attack and thrives with space in behind. I'm not sure we're going to get an awful lot of that at home to Leicester. And so I would have said that Emil Smith-Rowe would probably be the better option on that basis. But how fit is he? How much of a toll has COVID taken on Emil Smith-Rowe's body? He's not played an awful lot of football recently anyway. And so I think that Martinelli probably should continue in that position. But in the knowledge that you can bring Emil Smith-Rowe on, knowing he can impact the game later on. And that's, you know, we, there was a lot of talk during the transfer window about how thin we'd left the squad, how many issues we have within that squad and the potential of picking up a couple of injuries and how that could derail us. But as far as I look at it, a front line of Martinelli, Lacazette and Saka is pretty damn good. And when you think that you could bring both Nicolas Pepe and Emil Smith-Rowe off of the substitutes bench, that shows that we've got a lot of depth there as well. So that's the team I would go with. Ramsdale in goal, Cedric, White, Gabriel, Tierney, Partey, Xhaka, Odegaard, Martinelli, Lacazette and Saka. Now, what else did Mikel Arteta have to say in his press conference today? Well, he was asked about a number of things. I've already touched 
on the team news. Uh, he's also talked uh, or was asked about the situation at Chelsea. Now, I made my views clear uh, on the situation at Chelsea in yesterday's podcast. I think that it, the government were right to sanction Roman Abramovich. While I've got sympathy for, for the, the good fans and, and the normal fans, and there are a lot of them uh, at Chelsea, there are a lot of idiots as well, but we have plenty of those at our club too. I think that the decision taken was right. I think that this is an issue and a problem for Chelsea that will in essentially go away when Roman Abramovich goes away. And I do think that the sale of the club will happen in the next few weeks, uh, meaning that that cloud can lift over Chelsea. I've read more about it since. I've heard more about it since. I've taken the time to listen to people who are much more educated in uh, in that particular area and, and around the subject uh, over the last 24 hours or so. My mind hasn't changed. You know, I still feel like it's, um, you know, that the Chelsea fans that chanted Roman Abramovich's name at Burnley and that did it again at Norwich last night are idiots and they need to read the room better. And I think that, um, you know, when people talk about the hypocrisy of it all, the fact that there are other, you know, wars and conflicts going on in the world that are directly linked to other football club owners, uh, for example, I think they're absolutely right. I think there's two types of hypocrisy in the world. I think there's one type where, you know, the type that I'm guilty of probably every week where I look at football as a hypocrite. I look at a decision that's pretty much the same in two different games and I'll have two different views on it based on what I want the outcome of the fixture to be. That kind of hypocrisy, it's harmless and we all are guilty of it. But the hypocrisy around things like, you know, you know, what's going on in the world and how some regimes are able to get away with some things and others aren't. That is harmful. That is wrong. But two wrongs don't make a right. Just because, you know, we've not taken action or the government hasn't taken action in other situations, it doesn't mean that they're right to then ignore this one. The point I'm trying to make is that two wrongs don't make a right. And at the end of the day, um, you know, it, all of football is, is having to uh, deal with questions about this issue and this situation. Uh, Thomas Tuchel's dealt with it admirably. And I think Mikel Arteta was complimentary of him in the press conference and rightly so. Uh, but there were other topics that were discussed. And, and the reason I bring up the Chelsea thing again is because I've taken quite a lot of heat over the last sort of 24 hours with regards to my view. I've had a lot of people in the comments section and various other forms of social media saying to me, be careful who you call out because the British government or the American government or whatever are guilty of X, Y, Z. And as I say, I've never shied away from the fact that all of those governments have made lots of mistakes too and have done a lot of things wrong. But you, it doesn't mean you excuse one wrong just because it, you know, of, of something else that was overlooked. As I keep saying, two wrongs don't make a right. The hypocrisy is there for everybody to see. I don't need to tell you about it. That's not my job. My job is to talk about football. And um, and uh, yeah, we, we kind of got dragged into the situation and we talked about it on 90 Min today. I talked about it on my channel yesterday. My views are pretty much the same. I've got sympathy for those who, you know, are proper Chelsea fans and who, you know, are very much caught in the crossfire of this but are also acting with integrity and with responsibility, given that so many people are suffering as a consequence of some of these links. So I think I've got sympathy for those people, as I said yesterday, but not for those who, despite what's going on, continue to go to football matches and chant Roman Abramovich's name. Read the bloody room is what I'll say on that. Mikel Arteta was also asked if it was talked about that Arsenal are favourites to finish in the top four. But again, 
he refused to be drawn on it. And I think he's absolutely right to take that approach. He said that the focus is on training and the focus is on going out there on Sunday and getting the right result. It's got to be one game at a time for Arsenal. I talk about this being a massive week and it is a massive week. And when people keep saying to me, stop playing down Arsenal's chances of finishing in the top four, just stop it, relax. Like, what? why are you being so cautious and why are you so scared of committing? It's not that I'm scared of committing to anything. I've never been scared of committing to opinions on any subject, really. Um, and that, at times, has been my downfall. But I, I genuinely do think that we'll be in a much better position to assess Arsenal's chances of finishing in the top four in seven, eight days' time. And I stick by that. Um, and, and I will address that when we come out of this period based on how our results go and based on how the results around us go as well, because that, of course, has an impact too. Mikel was also asked about how Champions League qualification uh, would impact Arsenal's summer plans. And he was right to point out that it changes the landscape in a number of ways. First of all, you know, it means that you need a bigger squad because you're going to be playing more football matches. The fact that we're not in Europe has been at the centre of, of Mikel Arteta being able to strip the squad right back this time around. Um, so, yeah, it changes the landscape in that sense, but it also changes the landscape in the sense of you then naturally have more resource available, which means you can shop in a higher bracket, in theory anyway. So, yeah, um, good points on that. Uh, he was again probed on the whole Alexander Lacazette thing. Is Lacazette going to get a new contract? Are contract talks underway? And Mikel Arteta was very clear. He kept the same stance that he's kept throughout. Laka's contract will not be decided or discussed any further until the end of the season. Now, whether you believe that is the case or not, whether you think that conversations are ongoing just uh, outside of the public domain, that's another thing. But Mikel Arteta isn't going to give any more away to the press. So stop asking him about it every bloody week. It drives me crazy. Uh, he also talked about the club um, showing solidarity with Ukraine. Of course, Arsenal set up a Ukraine supporters club to, to kind of help and get donations out there. And it's nice to see. It's good to see Arsenal... Um, you know, doing their bit as well, because football clubs are big and huge and global and have a massive appeal and should, in my opinion, do more to uh, help with humanitarian crises like the ones uh, or like the one we are currently seeing in Ukraine. But there is a little bit of hypocrisy to this. And, you know, for those of you that say, oh, I never criticise that Harry never criticises the club. Harry wants a job at the club. So Harry will do everything within his power to Make sure that he avoids criticising them. Well, this is one for your scrapbooks because I am going to criticise Arsenal in that they have chosen to uh, stay out of certain issues um, from fear of getting dragged into political problems and from fear of losing sponsors and various other things in the past. They specifically and categorically said, didn't they, when Mr Ozil spoke out about the treatment of the Uyghur Muslims in China, um, that they didn't want to involve themselves in any political issues. Well, the issue in Ukraine is a political issue and Arsenal have gone quite big in um, in showing their support. And look, I'm not saying they're wrong to show their support, but what I'm saying is they should have shown their support in other situations as well. But they didn't because the business was at the forefront of their minds. Fear of losing sponsors, fear of having blackouts of their games in certain countries prevented them taking such a hard stance. And now in 2022, the landscape is very different and people are much quicker and much um, more comfortable in condemning certain things. Arsenal have jumped on that bandwagon a little bit. 
Look, look, again, let me take this back a second. I'm not saying that Arsenal are wrong to support what, what they're, uh, you know, the, the cause and are wrong to offer support to Ukrainians. I'm not saying that for a second. I am saying, though, that if you're going to, at one point or another, opt to stay out of political conflict the way they did when the whole Uyghur Muslims thing was being discussed, then you then can't expect to not be called a hypocrite when you then do it for a different subject. Why is this? Is this because this subject, the issue of Ukraine, is one that is being much more widely condemned? The whole West are looking at this and saying this is wrong and have thrown their support behind Ukraine. Um, and and this is different in that sense to what was happening with the Uyghur Muslims, where it's very quiet, it's very hush-hush. And those who are committing those atrocities are ensuring that that doesn't get out as much as it should and uh, and are doing their best to protect their reputation. I don't know. But there was a little part of me that when I saw Arsenal's announcement thought, good, I'm glad you're doing something and something for the good and using your platform and your, your presence for the good. But there's a part of me that looked at them and thought hypocrites. And I don't want to feel that about my club. I want to always feel proud about my club. But at this point, um, with this particular situation, as I say, although I think they're doing good overall, I still think there's a bit of hypocrisy here. And people on social media who have called them out for this hypocritical behaviour are probably right to do so. Um, in other news away from this particular game, we'll come back onto the game in a minute, but in other news, uh, Martinelli and Gabriel have been called up to the Brazil squad. It's a first senior call-up for Gabriel Martinelli. So congratulations, um, you know, to him. Um, that, you know, it's it's a big moment. I can imagine for any young Brazilian to get called up for the Seleção must be a big, big deal. So congratulations to Gabriel Martinelli and it is fully, fully deserved. Okay, um, let's move back to the game against Leicester City specifically. Let's get your thoughts. Let's get some of your comments in the live chat. I'll work my way through as many of those as I possibly can in the next few minutes, but not going to be an easy game for me. You know, I, I've I've looked at a lot of games lately and felt that they're going to be decided on fine margins. You look at Wolves, who won it in the last minute, stoppage time, 95th minute, fine margins. And, and Arsenal have shown an ability this season to get over the line in some of these games where the margins are fine, where, i.e. Arsenal are not playing at their brilliant best. They've still found a way to get over the line. They've still been able to, you know, find ways when their backs were up against the wall. That's largely because defensively, overall, we've been much better than we have been in previous seasons. Has there been moments of sloppiness uh, creeping in over the last few weeks? I think so. Um, I, I really, really do. I think that the first 20 minutes or so at home to Wolves, um, you know, was was sloppy. I think the, uh, you know, the there was a period just before Watford's equaliser and then after their equaliser on Sunday where we were a little bit sloppy. So I think we've got to be mindful of that and we've got to be wary of that. And for all the criticism that Brendan Rodgers at Brendan Rodgers, I don't know why I said it like that, Brendan Rodgers and Leicester uh, have had over the last few weeks, they've, um, you know, they, they, they still possess the quality to cause us problems if we're not at the top of our game. So we've got to be careful. We've got to be on, on high alert and um, and we've got to be concentrated and trust in our ability to get us over the line. So, um, yeah, lots and lots. Um, 
lots and lots of things to consider. And, and I don't think any game in the Premier League now, maybe with the exception of Norwich at home, when you look at the table, is an easy game. I think it's a game that poses problems, could potentially pose issues for us. And we've got to stay concentrated uh, if we're going to take all three points. And as I keep saying, it's imperative. It's vital for our chances of finishing in the top four that we do take maximum points from this one. In terms of my prediction, I'm going to go with another narrow victory for the Arsenal. 1-0 to the Arsenal is uh, my prediction. I know a lot of you will be thinking, again, he always comes up with 1-0 to the Arsenal. That's just how difficult I think these games are at this moment in time. I think that, you know, for all the praise and, and, and you know, hype that we've put around this Arsenal side and the job that Mikel Arteta is doing, I still don't think we're the finished article. I still think we've got a long way to go. I still think we've got a lot of shortcomings and a lot of thoughts. And so I'm mindful of um, of being overly confident and getting carried away. And I think that's something that Mikel Arteta has to manage in the dressing room as well. So a narrow Arsenal victory for me is my prediction. 1-0 to the Arsenal. OK, let's take some of your comments. Let's take some of uh, your thoughts and questions. Whatever you want, throw at me, hit me. Um, didn't have much time uh, to kind of sit and plan what I was going to talk about today. So this preview is a little bit off the cuff, although I think we've covered all the main bases uh, up until now. Um, what else have we got? Uh, Lovely Lion says, uh, Harry, why are people so obsessed with the games in hand? We know who they're against. And right now, I'd absolutely take four points from all three. Yeah, but that's why it's imperative that we remain in a strong position, even without the games in hand, because we those games in hand, you know, we could win them. But there's a good chance that we don't. And I don't want us to unravel on the basis of those games in hand. Everybody else in and around us has been incredibly inconsistent. So there's a real opportunity for Arsenal to, to build an advantage the way we have, even without those games in hand, and turn them into bonus games rather than pressure games. That's the way I look at it. Uh, big hello to Theo. I uh, hope you're well, mate. And a big hello to CT uh, Muttley as well. Um what else have we got? Uh, Ollie Benford says, anyone else getting annoyed with rival fans now saying we should be getting top four because we only play once a week when at the start of the season, they said we had no chance. Yeah, you know, completely agree. Um, it, it is irritating me. And what's irritating me more than people just saying we should finish in the top four is the people that go, oh my God, if Arsenal don't finish in the top four, it's the ultimate collapse and the ultimate failure. Absolute nonsense. I was watching a compilation video yesterday going around on Twitter that someone put together of people saying, oh, I don't even know if Arsenal finish in the top 10 this season, maybe eighth, maybe ninth. So now to go from that to if we fail to finish in the top four, it's the biggest disaster ever is, is massively hypocritical. Um, Davidson says, stop talking politics. Let's talk football. Stop believing the mainstream news. Listen, I get asked my opinions on subjects that unfortunately, um, fall into the category of both football and politics. And the Roman Abramovich Chelsea thing certainly does. Um, I don't always believe what I see on the mainstream news. I make my own opinions based on on looking at lots of different things. And, um, you know, I'm not wishing to sway anybody's opinions. Whatever your opinion is, that's up to you. This channel is built on me sharing mine on a variety of topics from around the football world. And that's what I'm doing. If if some people don't like it, I apologise. Uh, but I'm not seeking to offend and I'm not seeking to try and change anybody's view. Um, but my view is that regardless of what you think about the, the invasion of Ukraine overall, 
it's not right that people are dying. It's not right that people are getting kicked out of their homes and having to flee their homes. It's not right in any conflict that that has to happen to innocent people who have zero impact on the decisions that led to going to war in the first place. And if somebody is found the way Roman Abramovich has been found to have direct links to a regime that is overseeing this, then action needs to be taken. And that's not to say that this is the only issue in the world and that we should ignore all the others. The same action should be taken on all of them, in my opinion. Um, but it is what what it is at this moment in time. And, and that's where I'm at. Um, uh, what have we got? Um, DMC says, Harry, are you concerned with Kieran Tierney's form at the moment? I actually wrote a piece last week on Kieran Tierney's dip in form and why I think that is. And we actually did a, a podcast, actually, I almost forgot about that, specifically on Kieran Tierney. I'm not massively concerned about it. I don't see it as a big cause for concern. Um, but if you um, if you go back to uh, that episode, you'll see, um, you know, you'll see that I um, I was quite uh, <sighs> what's the word? I don't really know how to put this. If you go back to that episode, there's a specific, the tactical analysis show after the Watford game is specifically around Kieran Tierney. And what I said was that I'm not massively concerned about it, but there are a number of reasons for it. And Mikel Arteta has to, I guess, decide on whether he's okay with those other tweaks and whether those other tweaks are worth what they then take away from Kieran Tierney's game. And at the moment, it's working. We're getting results. So I wouldn't suggest going away from that too much. Um, but yeah, uh, not massively concerned in answer to your question. Uh, what else have we got in the chat box? Uh, DMC Harper's gone 3-1 to the Arsenal. Uh, Gunnar Vettel has gone 3-1. He says, hopefully Ramsdale comes back to his best. It's been a bit sloppy with his passes in recent games. I agree with that. And it goes back to what I was talking about, that sloppiness just creeping in with Arsenal of late. Um uh, SDQ says thoughts on trying to four four two on Sunday. Laka and Pepe up front, not for me, mate. Um, I think that it's pretty clear what our system and shape is right now, and it's working at the moment. So I wouldn't venture away from it. I think it would take a brave man to do that, given what a massive week of football we have coming up. Uh, Mr. Zaki boy says, didn't you criticise Rogers for failing to get fourth, even though no one expected Leicester to get it at the start of the past two seasons? Yeah, because Leicester were in the absolute driving seat for it. I think at one point they were 11 points um, clear in the race for the top four. And that and they cocked it up. 11 points. We've never been in a position that strong. If Arsenal are in a position where they're 11 points clear of the teams chasing them for a top four position and we failed, I would call that a capitulation as well. Context is everything here. Don't ignore the context in which those things were said. Uh, what else have we got? Uh, doo -doo -doo -doo. Uh, Chris Carrick says over and under on how many fans have actually read the details about Chelsea sanctions. I say 5%. Yeah. Um, you know, it was one of the things we said on the 90 min show earlier, like go, go and read the report around the sanctions and you'll understand exactly why they've been put in place. You might then contest some of those reasons, but, and, and if you've got other knowledge and information, fine. But for me, um, having read that, it's pretty clear that the sanctions should be imposed. Not really fair on Chelsea Football Club in a lot of ways uh, and the people associated with it. I mean, the day-to-day the -day employees who 
will be fearful about what that means for them. You know, I, I do have sympathy for those guys. But Chelsea Football Club is Roman Abramovich's and it's impossible to sever those ties and ignore that. Uh, what else have we got? Um, Vladimir says, how many goals do you think Saka will end up with at the end of the season? Um, doo -doo 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 -doo. I'm going to say 15. I'm going to say 15. I think that's the... That's around about the mark I'd expect him to hit come the end of the season, given his current form. Uh, Ryan Ladd says, hi, Harry. Do you think Emil Smith-Rowe can play in one of the two eight roles? Not really sure. And and the reason for that, and I've, I've talked about this quite a bit now, we've talked a lot about Granit Xhaka's new role, haven't we, recently? And I highlighted this on the podcast earlier in the week with Mike Stavrou. One of the things that Granit Xhaka's current role as this number eight gives us is, first of all, the ability to squeeze up to the halfway line to create overloads both on the left and then do it on the right with Odegaard and Saka, with Lacazette kind of drifting from one side to another and getting very, very involved in that. But also by having Xhaka as one of the number eights, it does mean that if our backs are up against the wall, it does mean that if we're going for a difficult period, we can quite easily revert back to something a little bit more like this with that two-man defensive midfield pivot because Xhaka has the ability to drop into that position. I would still argue that's his best position. So what you've got by having Xhaka as one of the number eights is a little bit of in-game tactical flexibility. And that, for me, is, is really important and really key. Would you get that with Emil Smith-Rowe? I don't think so. Um, I think there will be games where you could probably get away with Emil Smith-Rowe playing in the Xhaka role. But against level of opponent like Leicester, who, despite their league position, still have a lot of quality players, I think Xhaka is the way to go. And, um, and I think Xhaka will continue to play in that role, partly because of that reason that I've just, I've just specified, that tactical flexibility. It's something that I think Mikel Arteta is quite keen on. Plus, he wants to have as many senior players in the side as possible, I think, to complement those youngsters. Uh, big welcome to We All Follow the Arsenal, who's just signed up as a member of the channel. Thank you so, so much, mate. Really, really appreciate it. Welcome to the membership. If you click on the community tab, you'll find the link to our Discord server. Please do jump over there. Come and join the chat. Come and join the fun. If you want to become a member and support the Chronicles of Aguna podcast, you can do so by clicking on the link in the description. Or if you're watching via your computer, you can click um, on the join button as well. Uh, big hello to Mohammed as well, who joins us. He says, uh, hi, Harry, all the best, my friend. Long time now that you've not done a fan show. I know you're really busy, but miss talking to you, my friend. We will do one soon, I promise. Um, just Work is 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 killing me. I feel like I'm burning the candle at every possible end at the moment. Um, trying, as I said to, to Tariq on Tariq Talks earlier, make sure you check out Tariq Talks, by the way. Um, it was a pleasure to join Tariq on his channel uh, earlier on today where we looked ahead to all the Premier League fixtures. Do check it out. Um, but as I was saying to Tariq, um, I'm in a position where I'm trying to keep this whole let me not have a proper job thing going. Uh, i.e. let me talk about football and write about football going. And that means working extremely hard and it means spreading yourself very, very thin. And sometimes I don't get time or the opportunity to do all of the things I want to do in terms of different shows. I also have two very young kids that I feel like I'm missing out on and I do want to spend time with them as well. So the balancing game, it's a really difficult one. And, um, and I'm trying my best 
to do it. But sometimes things fall by the wayside. And unfortunately, the fan phoning uh, has fallen to the wayside. We will try and pick it up ASAP, particularly when there are big talking points um, and get back on that as soon as possible. But thank you for all your support and thank you to We Will Follow the Arsenal uh, for signing up. Because as I always say, those of you who do sign up to the membership, you allow me to keep that dream going because you support me um, and allow me to spend more time on this channel. So uh, thank you all so, so much. OK, um, we are coming towards uh, the end of the show. Big thank you to Arsenal for life as well for your kind words, mate. Really, really appreciate it. Um, thank you for all your kind words. Thank you for all your support. Um, thank you for all your predictions. As I say, to round up, it's a big Big week this for Arsenal, huge week. And I think we'll have a great and, and perhaps more educated um, opinion and view on Arsenal's chances of finishing in the top four. Once we get to the end of this week, it's not just about what Arsenal do, although that is first and foremost the most important thing. The results around us will have an impact as well. Perhaps they'll allow us room for margin that we might not have ordinarily had. We've got to Think about, or, or we've got to pay close attention to the next few games, take one game at a time. But as I say, after the next three fixtures, I think we'll be in a very good position to assess how likely it is that Arsenal go on and achieve Champions League qualification. Don't forget to hit the like button if you haven't done so already on the stream. Um, we've only got 56 likes on the board. There's no reason why we can't get that up to 100 by the time the outro plays. We're also... Um, on the roll, uh, on the path towards 20,000 subscribers. I'd love to get there by the end of the season. So if you are new, please do subscribe to the channel. And you can catch me on Tom Canton's channel in a little bit for our weekly crossover show. Uh, come and join us in around about five minutes time for that. Until next time, take care of yourselves. Up the Arsenal will be back on the Chronicles of Aguna after that match to bring you reaction from the Emirates Stadium and then a full-length podcast that evening. I look forward to dissecting, hopefully, what's going to be another Arsenal win. Until next time, take care. Goodbye. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.